as a church, our hearts have been breaking over all the events of the past few weeks. On Thursday, thousands gathered to mourn the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Floyd died on May 25th after a police officer knelt on his neck for eight minutes, 46 seconds, as he pleaded, I can't breathe, and was told to relax. Like many of you, I, I watched the video this week and, and I was repulsed at the, the disregard for this man's life. I, I grieve for his family. They've been interviewed saying, yes, they want to see justice done, but, but violence is not the answer, saying that doesn't honor Floyd's memory. But there's been days full of outrage and and discouragement and darkness. But church, I want you to know we need to keep in mind that in the midst of the darkness, there is a light. And he is the light of the world. And I want you to know today that this world, not just us, but this world can have hope through Jesus Christ. I know that we have been hearing this talked about by politicians but this is not a political issue, and we cannot be fooled into thinking that it is. This is not about left or right. This is not a black issue that doesn't concern us as a predominantly white church. No, this is a spiritual issue. This is about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And it is shocking, and it's dismaying when these things happen, when we are reminded of racism that still exists ingrained in our culture. And it breaks God's heart. And it should break ours too. So how do we respond to combat this darkness? Well, there are things that we can do, actions that we can take, listening, learning, laboring for change. And we're going to talk more about those. But the first thing, the most important thing that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is pray. Do not dismiss this crucial first step. Ephesians 6.18 tells us to pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Every occasion certainly includes this occasion. And that means that there is nothing that we should be doing before we pray. It says we should be persistent too. So we don't just shoot out a quick prayer and then we're done with it. When you're persistent with something, you stay with it. That means we should be praying a lot right now as the church. Prayer is always our first and our best response. I love this quote by A.J. Gordon. You may have heard me say it before that you can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is always our best response, and it should be our first response. So how should we be praying in this situation? Matt Proctor, the president of Ozark Christian College, he addressed just that question this week. He sent out some ideas to help us to pray as a church, I've taken that list, I've expounded on some of it, and so I want to share that with you. I want it to be a, a guide for you and I to pray 
during this time. What do we pray for? Well, first, we pray for comfort. For those that have tragically lost loved ones, we didn't know them personally, but we know that there were those that loved them, that called them family, that called them friends, and so we pray for their comfort during this time. Psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from the Lord. We pray for justice for those who have suffered oppression Psalm 71.4 says, Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust. And Isaiah 1.17 tells us to learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. We pray for repentance, for hearts that have been hardened by hate and dulled by apathy. Psalm 28.7, it says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Do not harden your hearts to this. Do not be uncaring or apathetic because it does not reach you personally. I think we've all been guilty of doing that a little too often, of, of just saying, you know what, that's sad, but it doesn't concern me, or of taking a cynical view of thinking, you know what, nothing's ever going to change. Now, we are called to be lights in the darkness and to not let the darkness prevail in our hearts. We need to repent as a nation for hardened hearts that have caused us to not love as Jesus loves. We need to pray for forgiveness for our own sins. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Now I know here that, that my pride creeps into my head sometimes and it will say, what, what sin, man? Did you kill anyone? No. Are you rioting? No. Maybe you have a little voice that says something similar sometimes. Maybe it's just me. But I know that whenever I allow my heart to become unclean, whenever I allow my spirit to be darkened by the influences around me and by the sin that I do partake in, that is when my light grows dull for the kingdom. And that is when I hide my light by letting it grow dim instead of being the light that I am called to be. And that is when I need to come to God and ask this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We pray for compassion for those unheard and unseen, for those that have been mistreated, for those that have been misunderstood. We all know what that is like to a degree, to be unheard, unseen, mistreated, misunderstood. But for some, these words describe their life. And Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. We are called to be the hands and the feet and the mouths of Jesus, spreading love and kindness in the things that we say and do. We pray for protection for both law enforcement and protesters in the current unrest. Psalm 16.1 says, Keep me safe 
my God, for in you I take refuge. We pray for wisdom for our government leaders. That means all of them, not just your party. When Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, 1-3, he said, I urge them, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. You know as well as I that we live in an age of political spite. We live in a time when it seems that sometimes even seemingly devout Christians have decided that it is okay to bash our nation's leaders with reckless abandon if they are on a different party than the one that we are on. And so over and over there are political views where where people are on news shows making a living by dividing us by defending their side and pointing out the flaws in the other side instead of seeking reconciliation. Five to ten minutes of listening to that, it'll have you angry and more divided than ever. But that division is not going to bring about the love that God wants us to have for each other. I haven't ever listened to them and heard them calling for prayer for the other side yet. But that is what God wants us to do. Pray for Donald Trump to have wisdom. Pray for Mike Pence to have wisdom. Pray for Nancy Pelosi to have wisdom. Pray for our governor, Ralph Norvum, to have wisdom. This is what we are called to do. You want to shut down some political arguments? Next time you hear some people ragging on a certain political government leader, just go over and say, you know what? We should pray for them, shouldn't we? All of our leaders. And then start praying. Next, we pray for peace for our nation. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This is one of the reasons that we pray for our leaders. Go back and listen to what we just read in 1 Timothy 2. Paul said he urged us to pray for those in authority. Why? So that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Our nation is on edge right now. There are lots of seeds of division and animosity that are being sown, but God calls us to be at peace. His Word says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, God wants our hearts to be guarded with the peace that He provides. Not only that, He wants us to help be peacemakers in this world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In James 3.18 it says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want righteousness? You need to sow peace. Our peace comes from God and He has asked us as His church to help sow seeds of peace into the hearts of others and into this nation. Finally, 
We pray for acceptance of Jesus Christ. We know that He is our only hope. Hope is the message that the world needs right now. Not a hope in something that will not prevail, but a hope in the most powerful being in existence. In the one in whom we can place not just the hope for this life, but for our eternity. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not to be a people without hope. Whenever we see what's going on in the world, we are to be lights. We are not to be anxious. We are to give that over to God and we are to be peacemakers. As a nation, as a world, we have so much more in common than we have different. One thing that unites all of us is that we are all made in God's image and that we are all precious in His sight. As Christians, we know that racism is a sin issue primarily. It's not a skin issue. Acts 17.26 tells us that we are of one blood, that we are from one man. God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth from one man. We are all God's children. As the popular Mandisa song, playing on Christian radio all the time, says, we all bleed the same. We are all united by our Creator. We all share the same family tree. If you go back far enough, according to God's Word. So, we all have a common father, God. We all have a common ancestor, Adam. And we all have a common enemy, Satan. Racism is a tool of his that is used to divide us. He is the father of lies, and Revelation 12.10 tells us that he is the great accuser. And that he seeks to separate and divide us from the truth of who we all are, which is created equally and loved by God. And so Satan, the great accuser, he seeks to accuse us. He sends forth these accusations, these lies about people that are not like us. And so he says, all white people are like this, and all black people are like this, and all cops are like this, and he divides our nation. And we need to be aware of his schemes. We need to recognize them so that we do not fall for them whenever we hear them in our lives. God knows our skin color. He doesn't make mistakes. He made each of us this way on purpose. Each of us made in His image. But He knows also that what is inside of us is more important than what is on the outside. 1 Samuel 16.7 tells us that a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God looks at. And that is what we must try to see in each other. We must try to to see the hearts of those around us. I'll say it again, racism is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. It is a heart issue. And what is needed to solve it is deeper than just legislation. It must come from the heart. Billy Graham spoke on this. He said, yes, we need legislation. We need laws to regulate us in our lives. But unless it comes from the heart, we are never going to solve these problems. You know when he said that? In the 1960s. Preaching during the civil rights movement. And man, is it still relevant today. We need a 
spiritual awakening because that is the only way to solve a heart problem so that men and women will come to love their neighbor as themselves. As believers, we know we have a common ancestor, a common father, a common enemy, but what we do not all have is a common experience. My experiences are different from yours and yours are different from those next to you. And the fact that we all share different life experiences is even more expounded and even clearer when we begin to listen to our brothers and sisters of a different race and hear their stories. So the next thing we need to do after we have prayed is listen. Now I've found in life that the more I listen, the more I learn. And God wants us to listen. He wants us to be good listeners. He wants us to be quick to listen. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Now, if we're honest, I think that sometimes as white Christians, because obviously I'm speaking from a white Christian perspective, we have not been so quick to listen to our brothers and sisters of another race when it comes to hearing their perspective on the subject of racism. We have been faster, unfortunately, to discount what they are saying, to kind of brush it off, to skirt around ever even addressing the issue if possible. And if it comes up at all, we have been quick to say, yeah, you know, racism is wrong. I agree, but I am not a racist. Just cut it off at that. But the problem with just saying, I'm not a racist, and then the further conversation stops, is this, that you are shutting down the opportunity for your heart to grow through further discussion, for your heart to grow towards your fellow man here. You're saying, I'm not a racist, I'm good there, I don't need to grow anymore here, but this is about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're honest, we can all grow in that area, right? In loving our neighbor? like God has asked us to do. And so we can do that by understanding one another better. So to do that, we need to start by listening. To come at this with our hearts open, to take the position of a learner. We need to listen to people who don't look like us. Hearts change when we listen and when we learn. I've been listening to blacks that I respect this week share some of their experiences. I listened as a doctor, an English teacher. He shared about his son. He said, you know, my youngest son keeps me scared. He's an honor roll student. He has an impeccable record. It's, it's not for any of those reasons. The thing is, he loves to run. He has a treadmill problem. He hasn't met a treadmill that he couldn't break. He's broken three already. <laughs> but that father says, I'm scared of what's going to happen if my six foot two, 240 pound son goes running outside and a police officer or a concerned neighbor sees him and calls the cops of what happens if they see him and says, he looks like he's maybe fleeing a crime scene or he looks like he fits a description or he's intimidating the people around here, the passers-by. Or worse, he's running at night. And the father said, no, no, I'm just too scared. We don't let 
our six foot two, two hundred forty pound son run outside. We just have him run in the garage, and I'm going to invest in another treadmill. Now, I've been running for a number of years. I've never been scared about fitting a profile. My son Isaiah started running cross country. He goes running outside all the time, and we just tell him, hey man, watch out for cars, you know, stick to sidewalks. We don't have any fear of him running because of his race. But that English teacher wasn't alone in that sentiment. I listened to other grown men talk about being scared to jog outside because of their race. I listened to them talk about having to have the talk with their children, not the talk about the birds and the bees, the talk about how you are going to be pulled over because you are black. Be ready for this. It's going to happen. And when it happens, you need to have your license and you need to have your registration pinned to your visor. And you need to keep your hands at 10 and 2 on the wheel. And you need to address them as sir. And you need to stay very calm and don't raise your voice because you do not want anything to happen to you. Every black person I have listened to has spoken about what they call driving while black. Where they get pulled over randomly because they fit a description or because someone in the area reported a crime and they fit a suspect profile. Listen to a black repairman in his mid-40s say, this happens to me five, six times a year. I drive a lot. I don't go out for calls at night anymore because of this. I listened, as Chris Keene told me this week, how a FedEx driver recently had someone shoot a gun off at them in the air as they drove by. There's fear. And we shouldn't ignore that. And there's also frustration. I listened to a black preacher. His name's Alan Parr. He's a wise guy when it comes to the Bible. And he was just having a conversation about race with another white Christian leader. There needs to be more of those conversations. And he was saying, honestly, there's frustration at the injustice. You see the example of Philando Castile where he's pulled over and he has his hands on the wheel and he's licensed to carry a gun. And so when the officer pulls him over, he tells the officer, I have a licensed weapon in my vehicle, as you were supposed to do, with his hands staying on the wheel. And the officer freaks out and shoots him. There's, there's no other way to put it. His girlfriend's in the seat next to him recording the whole thing. Their four-year-old child is in the back. And he's murdered. But he said, what really frustrates it is not that somebody made a wrong decision, but that there is no justice after this. The police officer was just fired. He's acquitted of all charges. This black preacher said, when things like this happen, we realize that there's not justice for us in this world. It's like salt on the wound. This is why people were upset about the Ahmaud Arbery case where he's out jogging and two men think he fits a description and they pull up and they say, we want to talk to you. And he gets scared and tries to run around the vehicle and they fire a shot and he wrestles for a gun and then he gets shot twice and killed. And it's a tragic story, but what makes it even more tragic is that for 10 weeks, nothing was done about that until there was a national outcry made and then the police said, okay, okay, we're going to make an investigation into this. 
Why? We need to hear this. And when we hear these things, when we hear of this injustice, we cannot stay silent. We need to say something. We need to speak out against injustice. Over and over again, as I've listened this week, when white people would go, what can we do to help? The first answer that I've always heard given is, listen, don't ignore this. Acknowledge this. Acknowledge that it's going on. You may not be growing through it, but you can stand beside us and support us. Jimmy Rollins, he's an African-American preacher from Maryland. He had a good analogy. He compares it to being in the room when your wife is in labor. Now I was in the room when my wife Sarah gave birth to each of our four children. I stood by her side. I supported her, but she'd be the first to tell you that I never truly understood the pain that she went through. <laughs> but I was in the room to help support her through her pain. Now, as white Christians, we can acknowledge that, yes, we are never really going to know what it is like for our black brothers and sisters, but we can stand beside them and we can walk with them in their pain. And that is what we are called to do. Galatians 6.2 tells us, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I know the Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments, but what is the law of Christ? It is a law of love. In Mark 12, 28-31, Jesus was asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the law of Christ is to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And how do we do that? What Paul says, when we carry one another's burdens, that is how we fulfill the law of Christ. And so we need to help carry the burdens of our black brothers and sisters. And that starts by being in the room with them and supporting them and listening and learning and acknowledging in their pain and not dismissing them, but instead, as Romans 12.15 says, weep with those who weep. And after we've prayed and we've listened and we've learned, we need to labor for change. Hearts change when people labor for change. People know that, and that's why they have taken to the streets to protest around the world. Because if one of us is denied justice, none of us should ignore it. But as Jesus has taught us, using violence to end violence will never work. It's irrational. It's illogical. We don't repay evil with evil. I know some have said, Hey, look, look, I get the protests. I understand where they're coming from, but I do not agree with these riots. I would say, first of all, yes, I agree with you. And so do the overwhelming majority of the protesters. There are lots of peaceful protests going on, but the media highlights the negative. And so you see that trumpeted, and you think that that is everything going on. It is not. There have been 
multiple instances and protests. There are videos online. I've watched many of this this week where the crowd is marching, where they are chanting peacefully. And then a few just break off of this peaceful demonstration, start spray painting or looting, and they're getting yelled at by the protesters to stop. These protesters want their voices heard in a peaceful manner. Rioting is not acceptable, but we must understand that the actions of a few do not represent everyone. I'd like to point out that opportunists come in all colors, too. There are some people that just hear about protests and they just go out to loot. Not for any cause at all, just because they want some free stuff. Now, I've seen posts this week where there's some people saying, Hey, y'all need to remember that most police officers are good. All right, Don't let the bad actions of a few represent all of these officers to you. And I would say I believe they are right. I support our police. I am thankful for their service. I cannot imagine how difficult that job is during this time. And in the same way, I would add, please don't let the few looting represent in your minds the thousands protesting peacefully. No matter how angry or upset that we are about injustice, the only thing that can defeat evil is good. Romans 12, 21, God tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As a church, we need to lead the way in laboring for change. And I have been encouraged by the responses of many Christian churches and colleges around the country and their response to this this week, including in our own restoration movement. There are actions being taken for prayer, for dialogue, and for seeking reconciliation. Facebook and YouTube video discussions have been held between white and black Christian leaders with good, honest discussion asking hard questions, and at the same time affording one another grace. Milligan University and Johnson University have held and are planning gatherings to pray for justice and reconciliation and prayer and peace. In Roanoke, Sarah and I joined a peaceful demonstration with some black friends of ours put on by a number of Christian churches in the Roanoke Valley yesterday. And a crowd of all colors gather together in an event of prayer and of unity. And you know, whenever events like that happen, they always get me thinking about what it is going to be like one day in heaven. Revelation 7-9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One day racism will end. One day all sin will end. One day we will not view it as an anomaly when we stand beside brothers and sisters of all races and praise our Father and our Savior. We can look forward to that day 
We can trust that we will be there, that we will see it because of the hope that we have, because of the confident assurance that we have. Thanks to Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross to pay the debt for our sins and for the sins of all mankind, for all those that will trust in His name and follow Him. As I said earlier, Jesus is the hope of this world. And if you don't have that hope that comes through Jesus, you need it, and you need Him. And you can change that today. We're coming to a time of invitation right now. And if you want to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and talk to me, but I know that I am talking to mostly people who have already made that decision. And so, to all the Christians in here, I want to challenge you this week to alter your prayer life and pray specifically for the things that we have talked about today. Pray for our nation and pray for hearts to be changed. And as you go out this week, I pray that you and I that we will be lights in this dark world, shining the love and the hope that we have through Jesus Christ.